Thank you, Father God, for your love and mercy towards us. And Lord, I just pray today that as we start to look at uh, purity as Christians, Lord, that you'll just challenge us in areas that uh, we, we need to be challenged. Lord, I just pray that every single person here, Father God, that we would all rise to that challenge, Father, that we wouldn't be cowards, Lord, that we wouldn't run away from the fight, Lord, but we would seek to establish your kingdom in our hearts, Lord God, that, Father God, that that in the end, Lord, that your kingdom would just be established in our lives, Lord. We know that, that your kingdom, Father God, is peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And, Lord, that's what we want. We really want that, Father God. So we just ask that, that you would just, um, yeah, bless Isaac, Father God, and Matt in the weeks ahead, Lord, and, and just pray that the message will just come through, Father God, with love and joy as well as with a challenge to us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry, everyone. I hate distractions. Okay. I might pray a bit too. Lord Jesus, I just thank you that you are a God of incredible love, Lord. You're a God, Lord Jesus, of incredible grace. And I just ask that this morning as we go through this message that you would journey with us, Lord, and you would hold us up, Lord God, encourage us, Lord Jesus, and show us, Lord God, a way through, Lord. I just thank you for your presence here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, some time ago, um, Matt, Neil, and myself, we get together on Fridays as often as we can to sort of share together and pray together. Um, And I think one of us must have brought up Fifty Shades of Grey, that book that probably most of us know about, um, that was released a little while ago, and it's it's almost gone viral. Everybody's reading it. Everybody wants wants to get a copy of it. Um, we were talking briefly. I know very little about it. Uh, There's a little bit, of, bit that I've read, but we sort of shared together about what's the what's the book about? What's the um, what's the message that sort of underpins that book? Um, and it's it's a book about sex. There's various sorts of sexual perversion. Um, in the book and we were greatly concerned that the book was being so widely read and that we believe that sexual sin and and those sorts of things have become more and more prevalent in amongst our own brothers and sisters and even in our own life Um, and so we thought we've got to do something about this we can't just sit idly aside and let a book get released and let people, brothers and sisters in the church, get caught up in things that um, are not fruitful at all. So this is, is this part one. Neil did a bit of a bit of one last week, sort of leading up into what purity was and and heading into into that. Um, I'm going to target pretty heavily this morning the issue of pornography. Um, so if anyone's a bit squirmish or feels uncomfortable about that or you think that your kids that are with you are too young to hear some of the things that I say, then let them watch the DVD. Um, pornography is a perversion of God's love. God has an incredible, unshakable love and the perversion of that is pornography. Pornography is a hidden sin. It's a sin that men and now women carry around inside them. It renders them powerless in so many ways because they feel the level of condemnation in their own hearts. I hate crying all the time. I feel God's heart towards us. He loves us and he wants to lead us through this place. Um, It is a dark sin. 
and some of our youngest kids now are having problems because it's so easily and readily accessible. I read an article in a Christian magazine not so long ago, and the title of the article was, Did You Buy Porn for Your Kids This Christmas? And the article was about giving iPods and iPads and various other Wi-Fi-enabled devices that can tap into the family um, computer network that the kids sit at home and they start to become exposed to things they never should have seen before. They start to see things that begin to shape the way they view life and what God's able to do with them. I'm hoping that most parents are probably aware that this is the case and they put, put things in place to prevent that. We'll be looking at that a little bit further on in the series. But it is become, pornography has become a social norm. In church circles, fortunately, it's still a little bit taboo. But in world circles, not at all. It is a part of the culture out there now. Um, kids carry around, we don't exchange you know, football cards anymore or comic books. We exchange pornographic images at school. Check out this one. Look what I've found. Um, and it's become a, a big part of life. Anyone that's a school teacher or a principal in school has probably confiscated a phone before and found some material on there that was a bit seedy, um, to say the least. So it's out there. It's in the world. It's probably responsible for more of the derailing, derailment of ministers and people in the gospel that are there to share the love of Christ and the message of Christ than anything else on the face of the earth. Because it is secret. Nobody needs to know about it. And men can go away, and women, into secret places and access things they never should have been able to access in the past. We're talking about a movement that's sort of come into being probably in the last, well, ever since the internet, really. It's a bit more shameful going into an adult shop to buy a magazine than it is to have something sitting in your pocket that you can flick out and access whatever the heck you want. Um, so that's, I just want to paint a bit of a picture where we're sitting right now. Things are becoming a social norm. I've had that many people come to me, including ministers, that just want to share with somebody a problem that they have in their own life. And I can almost guarantee what they're about to say to me. And it's this problem again and again and again. I've got a problem with pornography. It's affecting my ministry. I've seen two churches in my life, and I've only lived for 32 years, that have completely collapsed because of this problem. Completely collapsed. Top-level ministry that people have got caught up in things. Because it's not something you see on the outside unless you know what you're looking for. Then you can see it on the outside. People ask themselves, ministers... Can I get a cup of water? I always need one. I've been in a few men's groups where they've sort of shared stories about their problem with pornography um, and that they've had it for years. Some people call themselves, you know, a recovering porn addict, whatever it is. Um, I'm concerned about groups like that only because sometimes I think what it breeds... is a blasé attitude towards what pornography is and how it affects the life of them and their family. And their family. <clears throat> so I hear the more that men share about this being a problem, the more it becomes socially acceptable. That I can put up my hand and say, look, I've got a problem with pornography. It's affecting my life. And all the other guys are going, oh, yeah, we were. well, of course, you know, everybody does. And I don't believe it should be that way. We're looking at a series of purity because we want to take ourselves again from the place of living in kind of waffly grey place to white, hot holiness, that what we present to the world is something that is vastly different 
from what anybody else is seeing around the place. The way we speak, the way we live is completely different because we've come from a place of purity, deliberately avoiding the things of the world. That's where we're moving and that's what we want to become a part of. Is it really that bad? Does it affect your life that badly? Willingly entering into sin establishes a place of authority in your life that the enemy can operate. In the very beginning, you had Adam and Eve. Satan couldn't do anything in their life until they came to the point of disobedience and entered into sin. Then authority was handed over to Satan and he was given authority to begin to move into their life and begin to affect different parts of it. We as Christians, although we are, we are washed by the blood of Jesus and we've entered into a new dispensation of time, a new, a new zone with Jesus, we are still in exactly the same place. The Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, gives us the ability to stand against the enemy, the ability to resist sin like never before. The Holy Spirit can rise up and resist it if you're asking Jesus for help in situations. Sometimes people can become so stuck in, in issues like porn, pornogra- pornography addiction that they don't even ask God for help anymore. That They don't say, Lord, I've got an issue. Please help me. But the Holy Spirit is there and he can combat the works of the enemy. But if you enter into a place that you know full well is a place that you shouldn't be entering into, immediately you establish what the Bible talks about as a stronghold. It's a place of authority in which the enemy can operate in your life. And in this case, it's a stronghold of the mind. So you think, I'm just sneaking away. I'm going to look at a couple of things I shouldn't look at. Both God and Satan are watching. And Satan goes, there's my access point right there. As soon as he begins to view those images, or she views those images, he starts to build up, he starts to put bricks in your mind and starts to build up a kingdom. It's a place of authority in which he can come and go. The Bible tells us that the thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and that God is the author of life, and he comes to bring life and life more abundantly. They are both at war. There are two kings at war for our souls. It's just that we live in a world that's dominated by Satan at the moment. So is it really that bad? It is that bad. As soon as you start to to give authority over to the enemy, he's given license into your life and it starts to affect your marriage, starts to affect your life. You start feeling like you've got less energy. You know, you're distracted by things. You're not able to get into the presence of God like you used to. Suddenly, all the money's run out. All of these sorts of things that in the presence of God, he's taking care of everything. Suddenly, you put yourself in harm's way because of your actions. So suddenly, you're, you're, you're basically giving the enemy a place and saying, this is what it's going to be. In Romans 6.16, it said, Didn't you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living or righteousness and living. So it says, don't you realize that as a Christian, you can choose to be a slave to sin. Before salvation, there was no choice. You were stuck in sin. You didn't have a way out. Christ came along and suddenly you were given freedom again, and it's freedom to choose. So now we have the choice. We can sin, which leads to death, Or we can live righteously for God and obey Him and it leads to life and some of the most incredible things. And that's what I really want to focus on this morning is the life that God leads us into when we choose to say, I'm going to resist the enemy. I'm going to submit to God, resist the enemy and He will flee from me and take me into great places with Him. 
that passage of scripture that says the thief Satan comes to steal, kill and destroy, but Jesus came to give life and life in abundance is from John 10.10, if you want to write that down. As I said before, I just put down devastating effects of willingly entering into sexual sin and I put illustrations there. I've journeyed with and walked beside many men of all ages, boys all the way up, that have dealt with this. And the effects have been devastating. They have been devastating. For young people, it's this incredible sense of condemnation. They don't want to lift their hands in worship. They don't want to speak in front of people. It robs them of everything God wants to give them because they're stuck in a place of feeling like, I've got nothing. Like I, I, I live this secret life of total sin. Um, nobody knows about it and I'm stuck inside it. So we meet together, we pray. They, I usually get them to bring their devices to me and we do, we do a few tweaks on this so they can't access what they used to be able to. And the first thing they say after sort of three weeks of getting to the point of, wow, I sort of haven't looked at anything for three weeks, you know, I feel free. It's a sense of freedom. You know, I didn't have that before. They were completely bound and enslaved to an addiction that was bringing death into their life. I've also walked with all them, older people um, closer to my age or a little bit older. Um, and I've seen it destroy marriages, like I said, churches and other things. And I've watched a slow decline as somebody sort of battled up against this particular sin and it's, it's destroyed their life. It's okay. I'm going to give you keys this morning about how to really target and overcome those things if the enemy decides to creep into your life in that particular direction. Some time ago, uh, Neil shared about the journey that the Israelites took from Egypt to the Promised Land, and he talked about the, talked about the different stages that God took them through, and what they needed to do when they entered into the Promised Land. And I want to focus a little bit on that, and then I'll start drawing parallels between their journey and our journey. Egypt was a place of oppression and slavery for the Egyptians. At that point in time, they knew no freedom. They'd been in that position for hundreds of years. No freedom. They didn't ha- I don't even know if they had days off. Enslaved, 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 enslaved. God sent Moses to deliver his people with miraculous signs and wonders and they were led out of slavery into, a, into the wilderness. Usually when we think of the wilderness and people talk about wilderness experiences in their own life, it's usually experiences that are just darn hard, you know. That's my wilderness experience when you know, I fell into a black hole or something. I don't believe that's what the wilderness experience actually was. God's provision was there every single day for them. He protected them. It says that their clothes never wore out for 40 years. He led them by cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They saw God's presence fall on Mount Sinai and begin to, you know, flashing lights. They were delivered, you know, the law and the regulations of the law in that place. God, it was an incredible place of grace, an incredible place of transformation, that they went from a place of slavery, which is all they knew, and it was in a land of idolatry where they worshipped idols, and they gave up sometimes their kids' lives to idols, and then God led them out of this place, and he said, I'm going to completely rewrite the way you think. Everything you once valued, I'm going to swap around, and you're going to value different things. You're going to live in a different way. I'm going to circumcise you as well. You know, well, that was Abraham, actually. Um, but uh, I'm leading him in a completely different way. And so they came into a place where he said, I'm going to start to present to you kingdom culture. 
It's a supernatural culture which comes from heaven itself and I'm going to meet with Moses on the mountain and I'm going to release my kingdom and I'm going to start to show you what my kingdom looks like. I'm going to show you the way my heart beats, the way I operate and I'm going to make you into a people in the next 40 years that can be the ones that can enter into the promised land. Interestingly enough though, none of them made it to the promised land. So everything, including that generation of people that came out of Egypt didn't make it to the promised land. It was a generation that had never, ever known slavery, that had never, ever known what it was like to live in that other land. Everyone from Egypt died in the wilderness. So I see it as this incredible place of transformation. They were completely transformed. That it was the, it Basically, it was the offspring of the ones that had come from slavery that went in to take dominion of the promised land. Totally different people. And they were under Christ. And when they entered into the promised land, it was a good thing. God said that when they would enter into the promised land, he said that he would go before them like a fire, like a devouring fire. He would go before them. And the people in the land would look at the Israelites and go, they are nothing like us. They speak differently. They live differently. They're circumcised. That's weird. You know, and all these other things that they would see that these people are vastly different. They love the unlovable because God was starting to put his heart into them and his way of life into them. Now, the people that possessed, you may not know this, but the people that possessed the land of Cain and the promised land were disgusting people. They lived in detestable sexual sin and they worshipped the god of Molech. And the god of Molech was a statue, huge bronze statue that sat in different strategic places around the land of Canaan. And he was positioned with his arms outstretched like this and he would have a belly that was like a furnace and had both his arms outstretched. And people would bring their firstborn kids alive and roll them down into his belly. And they would have people around playing organs and music so loud that you couldn't hear the screams as the kids died from burning alive in his gut. And while the kids were burning, they would have priests and priestesses that would line the outside of the statue of Moloch, and they were prostitutes. And people would have sex with these prostitutes to worship that God while the kids were burning in the flames. Just in case you didn't know what the people were like in the land of Canaan, they were not good people. So God spent 40 years in the wilderness training up a group of people that could deal with the kind of people they were going to come into contact with on the other end. We look at, I describe Molech and how disgusting the worship of that God was. But in a lot of ways, when we go to that secret place and look at things we shouldn't and engage in a world that we shouldn't be, we worship before the same God. And you think you're not sacrificing your kids. Of course we are. Of course we are. Me as a father to my kids, I am the one God has entrusted with them. It's my role to walk a life of holiness for them. And if I don't, I almost deliberately walk in a place where I might as well roll them down into the gut of Molech because I don't understand. Maybe I live in lack of understanding, but I'm opening a doorway for the enemy to operate in my life that was never there before. It's my role to write the decrees of God on my life, to speak out the word of God into my kids' lives and to raise them in a way that they can combat the land that they're going to walk into. That when they walk into the promised land, they are completely equipped 
They know what to look for. They know how to combat with their mouth and they know how to live to overcome the works of the enemy in that place. More water. And when I told Vanessa about Molak, she said, I didn't think the promised land was like that. I thought it flowed with milk and honey. So there was a lot more going on there than we think. So what God wants to do with us in our life as men and as women, we live and we're continually surrounded by a world that treats all of that sort of sexual sin as a bit of a joke. They joke about it on TV. You know, they joke about viewing things that are unacceptable on TV. So it's become this sort of social norm. If God is to take us, which he has from Egypt, into the wilderness place. So he's taken us from a, a life of sin where we knew no freedom. And we've become born again and we've become washed with the blood of Jesus. And we've entered now into this wilderness place. This is this place of incredible training. I believe that's us in this world now. And I believe that we enter into that wilderness place when we withdraw from the world and we connect with our Father in that quiet place. So I believe that for a lot of Christians, they've made the step from Egypt and they've come to know Christ Jesus and they've stepped occasionally into the wilderness, but then they sort of backward stepped into, into Egypt and then forward stepped and they sort of hovered in between and they're probably even conscious of it. I know I'm conscious of it when I'm living a life like that. I'm conscious of it. It's like I'm not kicking any goals for God. My life's not for him, I know, because I'm always thinking about something that's not God and I'm very well aware of the fact that I'm sort of bouncing in between these two worlds. What God wants us to do if we want to enter into the promised land, the promises he has for us and the promised place that he has for us is that we need to enter into the wilderness place. God led them out of Egypt. There were no distractions in the wilderness. There wasn't anything around to distract because there was nothing around for miles. There wasn't you know, pagan ceremonies happening and idols to be, to be worshipped and people talking about a different culture. There was nothing. God took them to a place where Basically, he switched off the old world and took them into a private place and then went, I'm going to fill you up with my new ways. I'm going to fill you up with my new culture and my new regulations. Fortunately, we're not bound by the law anymore. Christ fulfilled the law. So now we're bound by our obedience to the Holy Spirit, which allows us to stand against the works of the enemy. So no longer do we have to stand there and read through all the regulations and write them on our foreheads or whatever they said that we had to do um, and remember them and remember them and remember them. The Bible actually tells us that the Holy Spirit Spirit will remind us of everything that God has said. So as we're spending time in the presence of God, he starts to awaken things in us. We become convicted of certain things and he starts to lead us in new things as we connect with him. So on a practical level, although we'll be covering a lot of more practical things later on when Matt shares, on a practical level, there's a whole lot of gateways in your home that the enemy operates through that would be useful keeping tabs on. If you want to enter into the wilderness place and let God begin to rewrite your value system and begin to transform you, what are you watching on TV? Like, what are we watching on TV? Um, because don't forget... The world system is dominated by Satan. That's, he's the prince of this world, the Bible tells us. So all the different things that the world is sort of into and they're interested in and they're, they're flowing through, they're probably not going to be things that are going to help us in our walk towards God because they've been designed in another direction. 
So it's a, it's a matter of being really wise about the things that you're watching. Um, there's been times in my life where there's just been no wisdom there at all, where the TV's sort of been bubbling away in the background and just lots of things are sort of pumping into my head. And I realise that two, three days later, I'm still thinking about what I saw on TV two days ago. Um, that it, it affected me. It locked into my mind and affected the way I thought and the way I did life. Um, so it's looking around, okay, what have we got? Maybe switch off the TV for a while to re-plug into the Lord again. Um, who are you keeping as friends? Because there's lots of friends that sort of, I don't know, they're friends that when you leave their presence you feel a bit lukewarm towards the things of God and there's friends that you keep where you meet with them and even in 20 minutes you feel fired up to live for God a little bit better, you know? And it's, you know the friends I'm talking about. It's the ones that make you feel sort of a bit grey towards God and it's like, oh yeah, well there's Christian, Christianity but we've sort of got other stuff going on. We're pursuing this and that and the next thing. Nothing to do with the kingdom. Um, and so it's understanding that, okay, Let's be very deliberate about the way we're living life. If we want to go from the stepping in and out of wilderness to Egypt, wilderness to Egypt, we need to review our life, have a good look at it. What's there? Let's clean up our act here. Um, what are we letting into our mind? What are our kids got going on in their life? What are they looking at? What you know, things that they shouldn't be looking at? Who are our friends? If we if we haven't got friends that are stirring us up towards a, a you know a deeper walk with God, then find some friends that'll do that and start to meet with them. Because I tell you what, friends like that are an incredible conviction. I remember even going out to lunch some years ago with some people, and we were I was talking with friends across the table about someone I don't know who it was. Oh yeah, well they need to get their act together, yada yada yada. And someone butted in on the conversation and said, "You gossip. Like, this is just gossip. How's this helping this person?" I beg your pardon. I'm a Christian, of course I wasn't. I was, it's, we're praying about them later. Uh, and so, but people in your life that are living sharp and they recognize things in your life that, well, that's got to change. You can't be doing this. You can't be doing that. Uh, and not in a legalistic way, in a let's start pursuing God and letting him start to overflow in our life. So that's probably, that's probably step number one. Starting to re-engage with God. Cut off Egypt. And start to connect with him and connect with his word and let him start to wash your mind. Brainwashing. Wash your mind with the word. Let him wash your brain um, and start to put his, his, his law again in your heart. And you'll recognize things that are sin around the place and things you shouldn't be involved in just because it's so much a part of you. You know, you'll go into that season where you walk into the DVD shop and feel yucky. You know, where you walk in and go, I can't do this. This is a yucky place. And then you'll go through other seasons where you're like, oh, I feel fine about it. And it's probably a good gauge about where you're sort of sitting with God. Who's liking this? It's a real punch, isn't it? <laughs> Who knows the story of the fig tree? Jesus is on the road. I'll tell it in my own words. We don't need to read the scripture. Most people probably know it. But Jesus is walking along the road to Damascus, I think it was. They're always walking to Damascus. And he sees this fig tree off in the distance as he's sort of approaching. And he's sort of, I'm seeing it as a young tree. He sort of flicks around the leaves and there's no fruit on there at all. Jesus is pretty disgusted with the fig tree and he curses it. He just curses the tree. It's not producing fruit, curse. Um, and then he heads off and then comes back some days later and it's just totally dead. And the disciples look at it and <gasps> amazed at, at Jesus' power. It's Jesus, remember, of course he's going to do something like that. Um, but the funny part of the scripture is it says that it wasn't the season for fruit. So Jesus is walking up to this fig tree. He sees there are no fruit on it. It's not the season for fruit. That's months away. 
And he looks at it and says, I curse you. You know, you're not producing fruit. I'm going to head to Damascus because that was the road that he was on to. Um, <laughs> and I was puzzled and I sort of said to the Lord, what is this about? Like, why would you do that? It's so unfair that you would require fruit of something. It's not the season to produce fruit, for goodness sake. And um, God said to me, you're not seeing it the way I saw it. I am the author of life. The kingdom of God flows through my very being. Everywhere I go, people encounter my kingdom because I let it flow through me. Even creation itself obeys me. The wind, the waves, the loaves and the fishes, everything because I'm the author of life. I walked up to that fig tree and it was operating out of disobedience. It had encountered the author of life. And in an instant, it should have produced fruit for him because of who he is and the kingdom that's flowing through him. And then he reminded me of the um, rod of Aaron in the Old Testament. Who knows about the rod of Aaron? It was put in the Ark of the Covenant with the tablets with the Ten Commandments on. Um, But the rod of Aaron, basically there was all these rods for all the 12 tribes of Judah that were placed out or placed next to the Ark of the Covenant at night time. And God said to Moses, you know, who's ever rod... Um, I, my present tu- presence touches, that's the one that I want to lead you know, my people into the promised land. Um, and uh, forgive me if I get some of that wrong. Um, but anyway, the next morning in a 24-hour period, the rod that had been cut off from a um, cherry tree, I think, for years and years and years, it hadn't been a part of it, it was totally dry and dead. The presence of God just touched it. And in a 24-hour period, it budded, it, it uh, blossomed, it, sorry, budded, blossomed, and produced fruit in a 24-hour period. So the presence of God went like this, touch, and it went boom into life because he is the author of life. What God wants us to be aware of is that there's two kingdoms in operation in this world. Satan is trying to nullify God's kingdom, trying to block it at every turn. And he's using pornography as a major key in stifling because nobody wants to talk about it because it's shameful. Nobody wants to say, I've got a problem, please help me because it's embarrassing and I'm not really even a Christian if I'm looking at that sort of thing. So it's this hidden thing that he's got them, I've got you, and it's blocking off God's ability to be able to release his kingdom into the world. It's like a gate valve, you know, open, close. Pornography closes it and the kingdom of God is unable to release the kind of life that it wants to. Jesus' life and that story of the fig tree is a perfect example of someone that is completely surrendered to the will of God and to the Holy Spirit. Completely surrendered. So when the Holy Spirit wants to move, he has free flow in being able to release his life into situations. And God desires exactly the same, no different, exactly the same. Even I believe, maybe I'm going a bit far, but even I believe to the point of the fig tree that God really wants to get us to the point where his life so flows that when we enter rooms of people that don't know the Lord, their sore throats disappear, you know, and they start feeling the very life of the kingdom of God in their presence. Pornography is something that blocks that. They won't feel any of that. They'll feel death rather than life. And so it's understanding that for us, in being caught up in this sin, it's stopping God from doing really what he wants. I think if Jesus were here, he'd probably just say to us, there's a better way. 
It wouldn't come with condemnation because there's no condemnation in Christ. But he would point it in our life and say, that particular area in your life is blocking my spirit from being able to touch your family and the lives of those people around you, and I really need you to deal with it. And I believe today he would be exactly the same with us here this morning. He knows our life. He knows what we do behind closed doors. He knows whether that's an issue or even other things in the world are an issue. It's just that I've targeted this particular one this morning. But walking with purity with God is walking in obedience to his word and his spirit. So you'll know if there's area in your life where you're just a bit lax, where you become a little bit grey. And I believe God here this morning wants to just touch those areas with that life. He wants to touch those areas and say, you know, you know which one. You know which one's sort of holding me back from being able to do what I want to do. I want you to take yourself out into the wilderness to a place where there's no distractions, where you meet face to face with me and I release my kingdom back into your life again. Then when you re-engage in the promised land, you'll recognize sin and you will unroll my kingdom and take dominion over every situation in your life, over workplaces, over what's happening in your household and wherever else you're organically connected with, um, that God will start to release his his presence because you spent that time in the wilderness. So that's the message this morning. So I really challenge you. Um, That came out heaps better than I thought it would. I I was so scared that it was going to come as condemnation and God just must have put his heart in there instead of mine um, and really released it like that. But I really feel his heart this morning in wanting to, he wants to release us of burdens. He wants us to um, come humbly before him and resist the enemy and the enemy will flee away from our life. Um, so I'll just hand over to Neil. He was talking about communion and whatnot before. So, yep. All right. Okay, that sounds good. One more drink. So Neil's going to head around and he's going to hand out um, communion. Let's really do business with God. Um, I really pray that that message would just be targeting different areas in people's lives, areas that they know that, yeah, that, that's in my life. Um, and sit before the Lord and say, Lord, above everything else, I need you to take me back to a place where I can meet face to face with you, that I can become the man of woman and God in my household that isn't going to sacrifice my kids and various other people in my life because I can't come to the point of letting you work in my life to overcome those things.